I'm Jacob Kruger, and welcome to the Write Your Screenplay podcast. As you know, on this podcast, rather than looking at movies in terms of two thumbs up or two thumbs down, we look at movies in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at bad movies, we look at good movies, we look at old movies, and we look at new movies. And this week, we're going to be looking at Into the Woods uh, by James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim. And the pretty exciting process by which that script was developed into a film. Now, moving a musical from the stage to the screen is one of the most challenging things you can do in film. Uh, in fact, uh, Sondheim and Lapine had been trying to get Into the Woods made as a feature film for almost 30 years. The challenges of adapting a film musical well, or adapting a stage musical to film well, are, are daunting. Uh, and the biggest reason is the theatricality of plays. In, on screen, we're used to watching things that look relatively naturalistic, whereas the, on the stage, theatricality, magic, the fact that you can tell how this is all working, the feeling that you can see the gears turning behind the, the production, can actually become a strength. And so adapting a play like Into the Woods is a huge challenge. Um, but there's a whole other level of challenge to adapting the Into the Woods, which is the producer, which is Disney. And if you've seen Into the Woods, you know that Into the Woods is not the typical Disney musical. Because Into the Woods is one of the saddest, darkest fairy tales ever. Filmically, it's essentially structured like The Wrestler, where halfway through, everything is perfect, everyone's gotten their wish. And then basically, in the second half of the movie, everybody dies. It's very funny, but it's also horribly sad. Because it's a movie about wishes, but it's also a movie about loss, based on a play about loss. And if you know the work of James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim, you know loss is what they do. They just make it really funny. And if you've ever seen a Disney musical, you know that loss is not what Disney does. So for any of you who've ever developed a movie with a producer, some of Disney's notes during the development process and some of the brilliant elements of the stage play that had to be lost probably won't be much of a surprise. But how James Lapine and director uh, Rob Marshall navigated those notes from Disney in a way that served both the producer and the screenplay is something that every aspiring screenwriter and anyone who's ever felt during the development process that their perfect screenplay was being run off the rails by some producer. It's something that anyone who's ever found themselves in that situation can learn from. So somewhere during the development process, not too surprisingly, uh, Disney said to Lapine, we've got a problem, James, with the body count. And most writers would have responded to a note like this with total incredulity. I mean, after all, this is what Disney bought, right? And if you look at some of the response from the really hardcore Into the Woods fans, you can see that rage <laughs> expressed on Sondheim and Lapine's behalf at, at losing things that were beautiful and wonderful and funny and sad. We're talking about one of the most beloved musicals of all time. And that 
shockingly high body count is the point, as we'll be discussing later. It's one of those things that makes the story so successful, uh, not only thematically, but also structurally. It's what the movie is built around. To reduce the body count in Into the Woods is not just to make a couple changes to the plot. It's potentially to undermine the structural integrity of a really well-woven story. The meaning of the songs, the natural evolution of all these multiple characters' journeys, not to mention losing some of the most beloved and memorable elements in the play. So you may be surprised to find out that James Lapine's reaction under the circumstances was remarkably zen. Rather than going to war over the script the way it was, he dedicated all that energy that he could have been using to fight the producers, to figuring out how else the script could be. He found a way to play on the same team as the producer, rather than seeing them as the enemy. And though the film that they ultimately made may not be as good as Into the Woods, or may be missing some elements that people who really know the musical will miss and continue to miss. The truth of the matter is they ended up with a wildly successful screenplay that really works and that in many ways creates the same emotional reaction of the original play. And Lapine was smart because after almost 30 years of wandering in the wilderness of Hollywood searching for someone brave enough to produce a film musical of their play, they'd finally found a partner in Disney who was willing to put up the money. The problem, of course, was that Disney doesn't do these kinds of stories. By committing $100 million, which was the original budget, it was uh, ultimately reduced to about $50 million. Disney had nevertheless taken a really huge leap of faith on Sondheim and Lapine. Unfortunately, the leap may have been more based on the words the lyrics were saying than the real theme that the story is doing. Because the lyrics into the woods basically tell us all the things we want to hear. You are not alone, no one is alone. All these beautiful platitudes promising us that life has a moral, it's all going to be okay, and you don't have to be sad. But the structure of Into the Woods is saying something very different. The structure is telling us the world is a moralless and horrible and bleak place, and everyone suffers, and innocent people die, and children grow up without parents and no one has a grip on right and wrong. And that's just not what Disney does. James Lapine, being quite a brilliant writer, knows that once you lose your theme, you've lost your movie. Which means, in this situation, he's still got to find a way to build around his original theme, while also serving Disney's theme as well. He's got to cut down the body count, and he's got to find a way to make a movie about happy endings. Because Disney movies have happy endings. It's the theme around which all Disney movies and the company itself is branded. The idea that when you wish upon a star, your wish comes true. Which, of course, is the exact opposite of what Into the Woods is saying. Which is, when you wish upon the star, your wish may come true, but you may not like the way it turns out. In the original musical... Rapunzel falls in love, as princesses do, 
with a handsome and charming prince. But later in the play, she doesn't exactly get the happy ending she's expecting. Instead, she gets crushed by an angry giant, and she dies. In the movie, that death scene is entirely cut. Instead, Rapunzel stands up to her controlling witch, literally witch, (laughs) of a mother, and rides off with the prince into the sunset to live happily ever after. And that's a totally different theme. In both the play and the movie, Rapunzel and the witch have a very complicated mother-daughter relationship. The witch has stolen Rapunzel from her parents, adopted her as her daughter, and knowing the cruelty of the world, has locked her up in a tower for her whole life to keep her from being hurt. But when Rapunzel falls in love with a handsome prince, she's no longer satisfied with the safety of her tower. She wants, just like all of us, to pursue that one true love, no matter what it takes, and no matter how hard her mother tries to stop her. And as much as we want to believe that chasing true love is going to lead us to happily ever after, no sooner has Rapunzel escaped from her tower and ridden off into the sunset with her prince than her prince's attention shifts to another woman, and she gets crushed to death by a marauding lady giant during a bout of depression which basically confirms all of the witch's most deeply held fears, as much as we don't want to think that way. Reminding us, as the witch warns Rapunzel, you don't know what happens in the world. And that's a problematic theme in all the best ways, because it tests what we believe and what we want to believe about the world, and asks us if our values can survive the real-life tests of a cruel universe. After all, if... Chasing true love and standing up to overprotective parents was so easy. Everyone would do it. If chasing the right thing always led to the right outcome, it would be so much easier to take the risks we want to take and to be the people we want to be. The best stories test the themes the writer and the characters believe in against their biggest obstacles to see if they can withstand those tests. The best stories test our morals and ask us, is this really true? And this conflict is captured in one of the witch's most beautiful songs. No matter what you do, she sings, children won't listen. It's a song that humanizes this horrible witch and lets us see the part of her that's just a powerless and grieving mother, trying to hold on to her child, knowing her child is heading towards disaster, knowing that she is going to lose her one way or another, whether it's a happy ending or a sad ending, that her child is going to grow up and leave her. And in this case, that her child is going to die. And soon after Rapunzel's death, the grieving witch dies as well. And it's not until we get to the end of the piece, when her ghost reprises the song, No matter what you say, children will listen. And this is the structure and the theme of the piece, the the structure that carries us out of the darkness and helps us see that the fairy tales we tell our children end up shaping their worlds. This is the completion of the witch's journey, realizing that she, too, is responsible for the state of the world, that she, too, is responsible for the state of her child, that her actions informed who her child became. In fact, that in a way, she wrote the fairy tale of her child's life. And none of that 
can fully land if Rapunzel doesn't die. So what do you do if you're James the Pine? You really are stuck between a rock and a hard place. You absolutely have to reduce this body count. You have to serve Disney or your movie doesn't get made. And if your movie never hits the screen or the company loses faith in it and doesn't promote it the way it needs to be promoted, you may feel great about your personal integrity, but that thematic work isn't going to affect a single person because no one's going to see it. To steal a metaphor and a lyric from Into the Woods, writing is like following a path through a mysterious forest. And though your theme and your map may be a handy security blanket, like Little Red Riding Hood's cape, never put your faith in a cape and a hood. They will not protect you the way that they should. Sometimes instead of fighting to stay on the path you've built, you've got to remember that there are many ways through the forest and many other paths that you never thought to explore. And simply by getting curious about how those paths will once again converge, how your, your second path will somehow converge again with the one that you left, you can find your way to serve almost any note, no matter how external and seemingly contradictory. And that's what James Lapine does in his rewrite. He takes Disney's note, and he heads off on a completely different path through the forest, integrates a completely different theme, and somehow winds up back at his original destination by taking advantage of the unique qualities of film and some aspects of what you can do with a camera that you could never do in theater. Instead of getting crushed by a giant as they do in the play, the prince and Rapunzel of the movie ride off happily into the sunset together. So Disney gets his happy ending, and we all get to go home feeling like love is really possible. But James Lapine doesn't let go of his theme either. Instead, what he does is approach it by another path. And this is so smart. And also such a testament to Rob Marshall's genius as a director. Because there's a very good chance if Disney had realized what they were doing, they would never have gotten away with it. To fully understand their approach, you need to know a little bit of this story's incredibly complicated and, and well-built structure. Those of you who studied in my classes know I often speak of a character's wish song, the one thing they want more than anything in the world, which drives the structure of their journey and their change. Well, Into the Woods' entire opening sequence is literally one extended wish song. It's a pretty amazing piece of writing. Uh, in fact, James Lapine has spoken about how when he first sent it to Sondheim after writing the book for the musical, he couldn't even imagine how Sondheim would musicalize it. He thought uh, Sondheim would just reject it. Uh, but fortunately, in, in his words, Sondheim really loves a challenge and somehow created this incredibly complicated song in which every single character is singing their wish at the same time. And for all the complexity of the execution of those intersecting wish songs, for the audience, the song has exactly the opposite effect, taking what could have been an overwhelmingly complicated story and a slew of characters that we're supposed to get to know, and somehow unifying it around each character's really simple wish. And of course, the theme of wishing in the first place. And in this way, Sondheim and the Pine weave together four of the world's most famous fairy tales. Jack and the Beanstalk, Little Red Riding Hood, Rapunzel and Cinderella, as well as a 
fifth fairy tale created by Lapine about a baker and his wife. You see, a long time ago, once upon a time, the baker's father stole some beans from the neighborhood witch, who was then cursed with ugliness by her own abusive mother, who blamed her for the loss of her prized legumes. The witch, in turn, stole away the baker's daughter, Rapunzel, and raised her as her own child. And now the baker, abandoned by his father, has nevertheless inherited his father's curse and can't have children unless he helps the witch to break the spell and recover her beauty. And you can see how the themes of wishes and the legacy of parents and abandoned children You can see how those themes are present even here. To break the spell, the baker and his wife need four items. They need a cow as white as milk, a cape as red as blood, hair as yellow as corn, and a slipper as pure as gold. You can see where this is going. In pursuit of those objects, their story intersects with the famous red cape Little Red Riding Hood, the coveted yellow locks of Rapunzel, the magical slipper of Cinderella, And, not surprisingly, the magical beans stolen by the baker's father turn out to be the very beans the baker uses to swindle the dim-witted Jack of Jack and the Beanstalk out of his beloved milky white cow. Unfortunately, Jack's abusive mother, whose only wish is for a boy who is different from Jack, is not impressed with Jack's transaction and throws away the beans. The beanstalk grows, Jack goes up, and starts stealing stuff from these giants, who, quite frankly, were really nice to him. Jack sings this gorgeous song about it. There are giants in the sky. About the love this lady giant showed for him. The love he never got from his mother. And she gives you food and she gives you rest and she holds you close to her giant breast and she shows you things that you never knew before until the sky. And it's this really beautiful, beautiful song about what love feels like and what it means to have a parent that accepts you. But like Rapunzel, Jack doesn't get to live happily ever after in the land of giants. Instead, he gets dared by Little Red Riding Hood to go back and steal the precious harp from the same giants who were so kind to him. The lady giant's husband tries to chase him down to recover his harp, and Jack chops down the tree and kills the giant. And then... The distraught lady giant comes down, wanting revenge for the death of her husband and the betrayal of the boy that she showed so much kindness. And she is destroying everything. She's stomping on everything. And so all the people of the kingdom are agreed that she's evil and needs to be killed. But the truth is, her husband was murdered by a nasty kid who stole his stuff. That same kid that's going to end up killing the lady giant who is so kind to him in the second half of the musical. And the boy that we're actually rooting for and loving. And this is what James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim and Rob Marshall used to hold on to their theme in the adaptation. And they couldn't have done this in the play because it only works in a film. What they do is they use a visual image to amplify the theme that's otherwise only referenced in song and dialogue. And that image locks in the power of what James Lapine is trying to say about the terrible things that happen in the world. So while Disney may have gotten an external happy ending and the prince and Rapunzel may get to ride off into the sunset, the death of that lady giant, the way Rob Marshall shoots it, is an even bleaker comment on the cruel nature of the universe than the 
death of Rapunzel in the original musical, which was executed primarily in a comic way, even though it prompts such a beautiful and powerful song from the witch. In the stage version of Into the Woods, the most we ever see of the lady giant is a giant foot or a piece of her forehead. But in the film, Rob Marshall shoots her face, humanizing her in a way he could never have done in the stage, and revealing her not as a terrifying giant, but as a scared, grieving, befuddled old lady, helplessly ambushed by a little boy she treated with kindness, and who robs her in return not only of her husband, but also of her life. It's disturbing to watch. And in this way, Lapine gets to serve both themes. Disney gets to read its exciting action-adventure sequence, and Lapine gets to say what he really wants to say. And though the changes he makes to the structure of the musical to achieve this may have hurt, and they may still be missed deeply by fans of the musical, like me, (laughs) ultimately, finding a different path to serve the theme is the right decision because it serves the long-term success of the project. It gives his producers the ammunition they need to fight for the other controversial elements in the musical and the courage to market it for their audience. You can't make a Disney musical that has a death count that high and that doesn't have at least a taste of a happy ending. And by serving the producer's theme, he gets to get away with doing his. Whereas if he had dug his heels in, most likely... This movie ends up in turnaround. Or even worse, he ends up fired and replaced by another writer who has no loyalty to the real themes of the movie at all. Writing screenplays is a collaborative art, and though the first draft of any screenplay must be your true vision, though you never want to compromise before there's money on the table, once there are other people involved, you've got to train yourself to develop the flexibility you need to navigate those woods by many different paths. And that means learning to do your revisions now, learning to about-face, learning to turn around and get to the, to the same place in a completely different way so that you can have the confidence as you engage in your professional career to seamlessly integrate even the most problematic notes without losing the integrity of your storytelling. Because that's the only way to survive in Hollywood. That's the only way to survive in a business that requires hundreds of millions of dollars to make and market a movie. People don't part with their money for nothing. They need something in return. And what you give up is you give up power. But you don't have to give up the meaning of your story. You just need to find another way around. Which brings us to one of the most painful sacrifices in the film adaptation of Into the Woods. In the play... There's a really beautiful subplot with a mysterious old man who acts as the narrator of the story and is later revealed as the father of the baker who stole the beans and prompted the curse and abandoned his child. When the lady giant appears demanding vengeance, the characters turn on the narrator and end up killing him off, sacrificing him to the giant who's a little bit ocularly challenged in place of the boy. And in the following acts, without the narrator to tell the story, all the moral rules for the universe completely fall apart. All the clear and easily understood morals verbalized in the first half of the story are suddenly turned on their heads. The princes are sleeping around. Little boys are killing helpless old ladies. 
and true love isn't leading to happy endings. And you realize this is what the story is really about. It's about what happens in the absence of a father, like what happens to children in the absence of a parent when there's nobody there to tell you the fairy tale story of how you're supposed to live. And suddenly you're lost in a world with no moral sway. And it's brilliant, and it's funny, and it's structurally integrated. And he had to cut it entirely. The narrator is reduced to a voiceover. The mysterious man is excised from the story, and the baker's father is reduced to a cameo. And we're talking about one of the best things in the play, and possibly the only time in dramatic history the cast has executed the narrator of their story. I mean, we're talking something truly innovative and wonderful. But it had to be sacrificed. Because here's the truth. Disney is already pushed to their limits, fighting for a movie that flies in the face of their own branding. And they simply cannot tolerate another dead character. The Pine cuts the narrator, and he cuts the mysterious old man because he's got to serve Disney's theme. But even as he leaves the original path, he keeps those elements in mind, getting creative about how to find his way back to that original path, and ultimately reaching the same tragedy through another character. As you may expect, this kind of exploration of different paths is not limited to when you're working with a producer. It's also something that happens in our own revisions as we sacrifice our babies in, in service of the overall story. So in your own writing, there are generally two reasons that you may want to consider getting off whatever path you've set for yourself and seeking a different way through the forest. The first is when your theme changes on you, and this happens all the time. Sometimes you're in the middle of your first draft and suddenly you realize, oh my God, this is what the movie is really about. Or sometimes you're working with a producer, as Lapine is, and you realize the producer is working on a different theme than you are. And here's the thing, if you don't follow your underlying theme, if you don't follow your real theme, no matter where it leads you, you're dead. And if you don't find a way to integrate your theme with your producer's theme, you're even deader. Your movie is not going to get made. You're going to get fired and someone else is going to come in and make it worse. Movies are driven by themes, and I'm not talking about the conscious theme you think you're building. I'm talking about the thing inside you that you are wrestling with, that you are trying to make sense of, that brings order to the chaos of your universe. And producers buy movies because of theme, not because they realize they're buying movies because of theme, but because they're looking for movies that create that emotional response in them, the emotional response that they're seeking, that speak to their beautiful and broken things, just like they speak to your beautiful and broken things. If you're going to make a movie, you've got to serve your theme. And sometimes that means leaving the path that you planned for yourself. So that's the internal reason for changing your path. There's also an external reason, and that's that sometimes you discover a more compelling hook to your movie in the process of writing it. If theme is what your movie is about emotionally, what's the feeling of the story I want to tell, what's the story saying, what makes it matter to me, then hook is the external version of what's the story about, why is the audience going to see it, what makes it different from every other movie in this genre. Hook is like the pitch of the story. So if you're thinking about Into the Woods thematically, it's about what happens in a world where everyone wants something, but where wishes are always followed by inexplicable loss. Where parents die and children are abandoned and there's no order to the universe. What happens when you have these strong wishes that are driving you and you're willing to do anything to get them, 
but with no moral compass to guide you? What happens if you get your wish, and what happens if you don't? That's what it's about thematically, and on the simplest level, it's about wishes in a world that doesn't play by fairy tale rules. It's about wishes in a world of loss. That's what the writer is building. But it's different from what the producer can sell. When you think about the hook of Into the Woods, it's about taking your most beloved fairy tales and intersecting them in hilarious and tragic ways. That's the hook. And if you're writing Into the Woods and you realize, oh my God, that's what it's really about, and you look at your rough draft and you realize that those stories aren't fully intersecting, then you're going to need to jump to a different path and decide to do a major rewrite. Sometimes that means going back to where you started and without abandoning the parts of the path that serve your theme and your hook, finding different ways around the parts that don't, realizing that a lot of things are going to change structurally, even as you head towards the same destination. And this is the danger of planning your movie too much before you write it, because sometimes you don't really realize where you're going until you reach the end. And if you're only willing to look at the path you've executed, sometimes you never reach the real destination. If you'd like to learn more about how to reach that destination in your own writing, how Sondheim and the Pine structurally weave the many paths of so many intersecting stories, or if you're interested in general in writing or in seven-act structure, join me for my upcoming seminar, Into the Woods, The Art of Adaptation. You can find out more about that seminar at my website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash into the woods. 